Hey guys, Megan here. Welcome to another episode of the World of Wellness Center podcast. Today I am so excited to introduce to you a special guest, Tim Boris. Tim has been one of my personal coaches and Tim believes that life is awesome and packed with potential. For over 30 years, he has helped people and organizations ignite their potential so they can upgrade their experience in work and life. As a former New York Yankees draft pick and national level performance coach, Tim is an expert at eliciting higher performance from individuals and teams. Tim is the CEO of Fresh Wellness Group, founder of teachmovement.com, founder of the Working Well podcast, and author of five books. He holds a BA in psychology and kinesiology, is a medical exercise specialist, a Czech holistic lifestyle coach, a certified strength and conditioning specialist, and is an international speaker and educator. Basically, Tim has all the credentials I can hope to have in my lifetime, and I'm so grateful to have him as a coach, and I really enjoyed having this conversation with Tim, learning from him, and I'm also very excited to bring some of the things that I've learned to you today in this podcast. So enjoy this chat with Tim, and let's jump right in. All right, we have Tim Boris on the podcast today. Tim, thank you for coming on. Um, before we get started in our chat, would you mind introducing yourself to our listeners? Be happy to. What do you What do you want to know? What <laughs> you know, what, what things about me? That's you know. I was actually thinking about that, and the one I wanted to be a little bit different and ask you, what are you most passionate about? Ah, oh, <laughs> passionate about yes, I I'm passionate about lots of things in life. Uh, if I had to sum it up, it'd be learning and coaching. I, I I've Ever since I was a teenager, I was teaching baseball camps to young kids, and I've always been in some coaching or teaching aspect of of the fitness industry. Even in my own business, I you know while we're a fitness business, I teach it like a or I run it like a teaching hospital. Basically, it's like when we're always taking on practicum students, we're always you know interns that are in and my own uh, my own team we're, we're just always learning and growing together and so for me that is just I live and breathe it that's part of what I love to do and I think that comes across in all the things we do across all the different business aspects of our of the company yeah cool so what do you love most about teaching movement teaching movement I love it's teaching movement in general yeah Yeah, well, teaching movement for sure is that's where I got into the industry uh, as a as a personal trainer. Like, well, actually, well, I guess even further back from that, I was an athlete myself, and so worked with lots of great coaches and realized that when you do things correctly, you generally hurt less and are more effective. So that that's one thing. And then when I got into the fitness industry, I was fascinated by coming out of athletics how I just took for granted the fact that movement was important and health and fitness was important. And I started working in the quote health club industry and realized that realistically it's not about health. It's about selling memberships and generating revenue that way, which businesses have to generate revenue. But I would work with people that have been going to the gym for years that didn't know how to do the most basic things. And they wondered why they were struggling and why they were having trouble losing weight and getting fit, which I guess are the top two goals that people have, which, whichever order you want to put them in. 
And so when I started working with people, I, I noticed that if I could teach them how to move more effectively, the rest of their life started to get better. They were feeling better. They had more energy. Their body didn't hurt. They could do things that they didn't think they were able to do before. And so that's where I, I really, that, that spark was lit for me. Cool. So I've noticed working with clients that sometimes when it's been a really long time that they've done any kind of movement, they might go, all right, well, I'm going to go stand up on my stand up paddleboard and catch a couple waves like they did when they were 20. Um, why is it important for us to kind of slow down when we're getting back into movement and almost get back into the basics before we go trying to be the same as we were 20 years ago? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's important for, for a number of reasons. First is to use those basic movement patterns as a reinforcement of what our body can do. But also as, as people age, and I'm not in my 20s anymore by any stretch of the imagination, and I was just having a chat with uh, some of my uh, team earlier today, and some of them are in their early 20s, and we were laughing, and I'm like, I'm in my late 40s, and while I'm in better shape than I was in my 20s, the the human body is very a very different animal in its late 40s than it is in its early 20s and you have to understand the nature of it and we were getting into the science of fascia and everything like that and how as you age fascia becomes less pliable and that's why people in their 40s take longer to warm up than someone in their 20s uh and People in their 40s like to say are smarter about injuries and they say, I don't want to hurt after. Whereas in your 20s, you're like, ah, oh, that hurt a little. Ah, oh, rub it off. It'll be it'll be good tomorrow. <laughs> and in your 40s, that could be a week long issue. So, yes, understanding your own body, warming up effectively, practicing your movement patterns will allow you to get back into it more quickly. Now, I'm curious as you've been in this industry for a long time, you've been an athlete for a long time. And how have you seen your body change as it gets older related to your fitness? Yeah, I, I find that the warm up thing is the, and the major one, it, what used to take me a minute and a half to warm up <laughs> in my teens and twenties now is, could be a 15 minute process. Uh, the other the other part of it is that I've gotten a lot more knowledgeable about what my body needs and I'm able to avoid things that would have caused injury in the past or train specifically to strengthen those key areas. And, you know, I, I was a bit of a gym rat for a while in, in my uh, in my teens and 20s and it was all the we call it mirroritis. You work the things you can see in the mirror, and uh, it was it was all about the vanity muscles and uh, the beach bodybuilding things. And that was actually, if I wasn't an athlete, I, I would have noticed a, a bigger detriment to my performance than I actually did. But I always say, look at the the difference between an athlete and a bodybuilder, and there are some some bodybuilders that cross the divide. But typically, the training style is very different. Not to say bodybuilding style training is is bad. It's that isolation style exercise is very good for building good-looking big muscles. 
However, it's not good for building functional, powerful muscles that can be used in a variety of ways. And that's the difference between that style of training. So I've noticed over the years, most of like aesthetics are still important. And anyone who tells you that they're not is, <laughs> is lying to you because that's why people want the large majority of people outside of the athletic world want to exercise is because looking good is important. But you also, in my opinion, want to look good and be good, feel good, and and see all those other functional benefits. You want to be able to pick up your kids or your grandkids and move through life effectively. And you can do both if you do the right style of training. And that's something that I think a lot of people miss because I'd say the majority of fitness instruction out there is created from a foundation of bodybuilding training. Today I'm doing chest, back, and buys and, you know, shoulders and legs the next day and abs and, you know, forearms or whatever way you break it down. But it's treating muscles as muscles, not as part of a functional unit that creates a movement pattern. And that's something that's really important to understand is that athletes train movement, bodybuilders train muscle. And the outcomes can look the same, but they uh, on the surface, but when you dive under the hood, there's a big difference in terms of how the body performs when you train movement. Definitely. And I, I think that's also why when somebody's starting an exercise program or they're continuing through one to know why they're doing it. And if it is for looks, cool. Is it, if it's for energy, awesome. But if we have to look at dig deeper than what it is, because there's always some root to it. And some of it might be that they just want to function better. Like you said, so that they can play with their kids or their grandkids and doing some curls in the mirror is definitely not going to help you if you're trying to bend down and pick up something heavy off the floor or pick up a kid and throw them over your shoulder. That's just not going to translate. Um, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, yeah, you're, you're right. And let, let's not joke with ourselves. The, the fact that no one, no one's going to train functionally if it didn't help them look good. Like just flat out, that's not that's not going to happen. Other than the, like the high end athletes, they'll do whatever they need to 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 get that extra little bit of performance. But we want to make sure that people understand that just because you're training movement and you're not doing like bicep curls in front of the mirror, you can still look good. Show me someone who can do great chin ups, and I'll show you someone with good biceps. <laughs> like that's just part of the process. But if and and there's a there's a i guess a place for those bodybuilding exercise traditional style exercises in the sense of i i've in with my clients i'll call them supplementary exercises because we'll do our core amount of training around movement patterns and like yeah if we want to you know i'm like i i it's people was like oh i've got a vacation beach vacation coming up in you know a couple months so i want to really work to that and so yeah we're get, we'll spend a little extra time doing some of those call it toning, bodybuilding, isolation style exercises, but not at the expense of the core movement and function aspects. Definitely. Um, when I train my clients, depending on what phase we're in, 
exactly that. Maybe there's like three to five minutes left in the session and we've gotten through everything. Then we'll do those little like, all right, let's do some ab work for you guys today. But that being, that being, um, making sure that we're focusing on working the core with in the movement so that it translates like, okay, well, you need to keep your core engaged while you're learning how to squat because you're still working your core, even in any exercise that you're doing. We're not just isolating it where you feel the burn from it specifically. Totally. And, and part of it is, for, at least for us, is educating clients and having them understand. It's like trying to have them experience that doing a heavy squat is all about core because if you don't have a strong core you cannot squat heavy and part of the problem is people try and squat heavy without having the the brain muscle connection to stabilize their spine and that's why so many people get injured when they do quote free weight training and so a huge part of our process is teaching people that those movement patterns so that they can feel strong and stable in whatever they decide to do and if that involves progressing to more traditional strength lifts great we can do that because they have the foundation uh, they're not having to sit in a you know a leg press and strap themselves in uh, because they don't have the core to to support a, a freestanding squat or a lunge pattern or a deadlift or something like that so in your coaching, you teach about the four pillars of performance and I'll go ahead and tell the listeners what they are, and then we can talk about them. So the four pillars are mindset, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think these are mindset, habits, movement, and fuel. Did I get that right? Correct. Okay. Cool. Correct. So we have the four of those. If you had to choose one, I know they all work together, but what would you say, which one would you deem the most important out of four of them? Absolutely. It's mindset. And in, in order of importance, we put them mindset, habits, movement, and fuel. And every dietitian out there always argues with me. And I will still defend that to <laughs> until the end of the end of time, because if you don't have the right mindset, everything else will continue to be a struggle. Once you have the right mindset, you set the stage for everything else that follows. The next step is habits. So you're, we, I call mindset the, the filter through which we see the world. It's like wearing sunglasses or polarized sunglasses. If you take them off, you can still see things, but you see it in a different light. And so when you, we shift our mindset to proactive, uh, growth-oriented perspective, we're able to see the possibilities in the world around us and we approach it from a positive perspective. After that, once we had, it's like putting the car into gear and then the, the habits are how we implement our mindset. What's the framework or the structure with which we're getting that mindset in place. And that's like the hitting the gas and being able to go in the car. You've, you've got it in gear, boom, you're, you're driving now. And then movement and fuel are what you do to keep your body energized and moving effectively and avoiding injury and having the energy you need to sustain yourself and whatever you decide to take on. And so in, in order of importance, again, mindset, habits, movement, fuel, most people 
approach that the opposite way. They, they flip it upside down. As I mentioned before, the, the two most common goals people have in health and wellness are get fit, lose weight. And so the, the, the way that I explain it to people is, and I'll ask them this question. So thank you. You, you want to, or so-and-so, you want to lose 10 pounds. You want to get fit, lose weight. Uh, you know that involves exercise and proper healthy eating, correct? And they said, yeah. And then my question is, so why aren't you doing that already? It's probably not more knowledge and exercise or more knowledge on nutrition because you can download workouts from online. You can download some nutrition plan. Most people know what healthy food is already. They're just not eating it and they're not doing the workouts. So that go ahead. Well, I was going to say, so, so if, if you were to ask a client that about, well, you know how you should move your body and eat right. What's typically their response when they say, when you ask that question, they'll be like, oh yeah, yeah. And they're like, oh yeah, work, work's busy or I've got, I've got two kids or five kids or, you know, I've got this deadline here and there's just so much going on in life right now. And and so that tells me that I can give them the best workout plans. I can give them the best nutrition plans. It's not going to help them until I deal with mindset and habits. Once that framework's in place, the fitness and nutrition becomes so much easier because people are approaching it from the right perspective. How many people in the gym or clients that you have have said, oh, I hate exercising. I hate the gym. I hate going to the gym. I, I like, I don't. I wouldn't do it if I knew I wouldn't be able to fit in my jeans, <laughs> and and that's a huge part of why so many people struggle. Well, or they think that they need to work out to work off the alcohol that they had over the weekend, the burger and fries. <laughs> yes. So it's like that. It's almost a negative feedback loop using movement as punishment for fuel. And yeah, I, I think those both tie into the habits and the mindset. So if you have the mindset, you're learning your why, but also using the mindset to then go with the habits. Yeah, I wanna have this food, but how can I shape it so that when I do have that food, I don't have to feel like I need to run on this negative loop of working it off rather than it just being part of my life and something that I can enjoy. Yeah. Yeah, we have a quote in uh, one of our studios that says we work out because we love our body, not because we hate it. And it's it's so true is people are often in the gym trying to fix something about themselves is like, oh, I've got this muffin top or I've got like this this roll or this extra weight that I'm carrying. And and they like, oh, I've got to just go work it off. And it's like, well, no. That's that's a losing proposition. As you mentioned, the food versus calories versus minutes in the gym. If you look at the numbers, it's staggeringly stacked against you. <laughs> like so much. I'll tell you, I went through a couple month period where um, I was using I was using my zone heart rate monitor. So it tells you how many calories that you burn during your workout. And then I was tracking all of my food. And one weekend I ate out twice and actually being honest with myself and putting those calories in. I'm like, all the work that I just did all week based upon my calories, not based upon anything else. It's just gone. <laughs> like I just 
reversed, not reversed, but I essentially like just hindered all the hard work that I put in for what? <laughs> 10 minutes of <laughs> cheese. <laughs> Well, and and that's the, but that's the mindset that so many people have around food is that it's all about calories in calories out. And it's not at all. And there are a couple analogies that I've used with clients on, on that to help them understand the, I guess the, the impact of that and how to really shift that mindset. One of them is a study that was done this was ages ago now, it was, I think it was comparing the lifestyle in 2000 to 1950. And what they found was that by analyzing all the different activity patterns of the, the average person in those timeframes is that the person in 1950 burned 500 extra calories a day in life than the person in 2000. And that's where the uh, the ADLs came from activities of daily living and the whole 10,000 steps that came out of that is that in 1950, people were just more active. They did more manual labor. They, di- they didn't have the conveniences of, call it modern times. And in 1950, they weren't going to CrossFit and spin classes and, you know, Zumba or whatever. They weren't going to the gym. People didn't go to the gym in 1950. There might have been the odd person that was in like a, you know, strongman type uh, gym. You know, in Russia, they were doing kettlebells probably still. <laughs> but uh, but the fact is, the average person in the population didn't exercise. They only ran if something was chasing them. And they maybe had a sport they played, but it wasn't this, you know, very fitness-based, uh, active uh, in the traditional sense culture whereas they just were moving more like people went to the grocery store almost every day or at least multiple times a week they took the stairs more often because there weren't as many escalators and elevators they had to walk more places the cities were set up where people could walk and that's something that is a lot missing today we can get our grocery well especially this last year we get our groceries delivered to our house um, we work from home, like I know my personal step count went from 8,500 on average a day to about 1,500. It's like, we're not as active this last year, but even before that, we, we weren't, aren't as active as our ancestors were. Well, this pasture is probably almost a catalyst for us to be even more sedentary from the things that we created because we couldn't go anywhere. And now that I mean, especially for me and going from a gym where I'm running around all day to then, all right, I'm sitting in a chair for five, six, seven, eight hours coaching clients now. So my physical activity, like you were saying, just goes completely down and it's that shift in lifestyle that we've all seen. So when, when it comes and this is, I've had injuries in the past and this is what has got me so psyched on movement because I've used movement to help me be able to do awesome things. (laughs) Like I love hiking. I love surfing. And I don't think that, um, I could have done that without you having a movement practice, especially with an injury. Um, so if you wouldn't mind just besides what I just said, but like expanding how, when we create a healthy lifestyle, how that does give us more freedom in our life. 
and why it should be a priority early. For sure. Yeah. And that's, uh, people that already have that lifestyle understand it. But when we're working with clients who don't like exercise and they think they need to go to the gym to, to lose weight, it's, at least in at, at fresh it's helping people understand the the fact that there's more that what we do in the gym is to help us be better outside the gym and f- going back to the mindset again how do we connect someone's mindset to what's important and valuable in their life and that goes back to what's someone's personal mission vision values what goals do they have why are they actually there to to get fit and lose weight you know if you could starve yourself and you know look skinnier is that going to accomplish your goal people say i want to lose 10 pounds i'm like well i could lop off an arm and you'll be 20 pounds lighter how's that going to help (laughs) (laughs) and it won't like i've literally i literally say that to clients and they look at me like i'm crazy and i'm like well you talk about losing weight i'm like if we took off 40 pounds of muscle on you and added 40 pounds of fat, how would that help you? You'd be the same weight. So when you talk about losing weight, do you want to lose muscle? Do you want to lose, you know, a leg, an arm? Uh, Do you want to lose body fat? And if you want to lose body fat, why? How much? What's it going to do for you? What's the impact it's going to make on your life? And when, when someone can get down to that, then... As a coach, we can say, hey, you know what? Yeah, let's train you for this and let's help you be better for that. And maybe it's as a, a grandparent, you want to be able to play with your grandkids. Or maybe it's as a new parent, you want to be a good role model for your kids. Or maybe it's just, I want to feel better. I'm sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. And when we can dig deeper into those emotions behind that then we i start to understand what drives that person then we can create the change because while we may love going out hiking and you know i love mountain biking and i'm out there all the time doing that other people are like oh, I, would, I hate that i would never get on a bike and if someone tells me that they don't like to be outside and they never want to be outside ever uh they tend not to be a client because I, I always say like I like to help people experience life in a greater way, and I don't feel that happens indoors all the time. Like indoors are great, but uh, get outside and be active is one of my approaches, and I'll help people find things that they enjoy doing. And if someone's never tried something or it's been decades since they tried something, try something new, and help people be successful at it. The, what we often see is that someone wants to take up hiking and they're like, oh, I'm going to do like a three-night um, backcountry overnight thing on my first time out and I'm not physically or mentally prepared for it and then it's a miserable mess. And I'll, I'm like, oh, why would anyone ever do that ever again? Because they've got blisters and their muscles hurt and they can't even move. It's like why people hate going to the gym. Well, if, yeah, if you take someone and a beginner and put them through a CrossFit class and scream and yell at them all the time and they finish last how's that for motivation to continue it's, it's not um i like i like what you 
set of i mean essentially i think you're saying dig dig deeper so it's like okay well i want to lose some fat because i want to look better well why do i want to look better because i want to have some more confidence why do you want to have more confidence well i haven't felt great for a while and i would actually really like to feel comfortable trying something new so it's it's just keep digging deeper and deeper and deeper into your reasoning and I think sometimes it's hard to go that deep <laughs> on yourself. And I think sometimes it just takes maybe even just understanding that first layer behind wanting to get fit or losing weight. And then once you work on it, then we can start peeling the onions even more until we find that light bulb moment for people. Exactly. And it's sometimes it's hard to do on your own. We, we at Fresh, we have, we call it like the, ask at least five whys mm. and dig like five layers deeper than most people normally would. And you can do that on yourself. Uh, if, if, you know, someone's listening to this and they want to think, think about it. And the, again, the, the, I want to lose 10 pounds is one of the most common goals I hear. And it's like, I, at this point now I've heard it so many times. I'm just like, why, why 10 pounds? Why not 20? Why not 15? Someone will come in and they're 100 pounds overweight and they say, I want to lose 10 pounds. I'm like, why not 100? Why not 50? Um, why why 10? And sometimes it's because they're like, well, 10 is the most I've ever been able to lose and keep off. And they don't feel that like 100 is even possible. And other people are like, I don't know. I just guessed that. Like I've... I've seen people who really don't have 10 pounds to lose, but think they need to lose 10 pounds because in their mind, that's, that's what they think is going to make them feel better. They're just feeling burnt out or stressed out or in a bit of a depressed mood. And they're like, oh, I, I, they're in a bit of a rut, maybe at work or a relationship. And they're like, man, if I just got in better shape and lost weight, everything would be better. And so by, by asking those questions, we can really get a sense of how we can best help that person. Uh, and it also goes to the, I guess, the difference between a trainer and a coach. Uh, we talk to clients a lot about this and, and other fitness professionals too, is that a trainer puts on their fitness hat and approaches everything from a fitness problem kicking your butt in the gym and sweating out um, calories is what trainers do. And they might design great workouts, but not everything is solved with a great workout and sweat. And so if people are out there struggling with these things, especially if they've been down that pathway a few times before and not gotten the results they want, looking at someone to like hiring a coach as well, that's going to ask those tough questions. And, a lot, and trainers have the ability to do that. Just most are not looking at it from that perspective. So are we asking the tough questions? Are we there to get someone fit or help them reach their goals? Because those are very different things. You can accomplish both, but until you put the coach hat on, you're not able to see some of the other options available to you asking those tough questions and that's that's something that i think a lot of people that are looking to get fit and lose weight uh, miss out on is that they're going back to the four pillars looking at movement fuel or fitness and nutrition even narrower segments of that and then 
not thinking about the mindset and the habits and had the positive impact that that can have. So if somebody wants to, um, so say somebody's ready, they're like, I'm ready to look at myself. I'm ready to do this, but what's the importance of having a plan rather than just going at it and doing it themselves? Yeah, it's a, a plan is, well, people can do have a plan and do it themselves. And that's important to know as well. Uh, having a plan allows you to know where you're going, what you want to accomplish and know when you get there. Mm. And, and you can track that throughout. Uh, a plan is not, I'm going to go to the gym three days a week. That's a tactic. Uh, but what's your strategy? Um, how are you going to implement that strategy? And, and what, when we talk about goal setting with clients, um, you know, most people are familiar with the, the smart goals analogy. We expanded a little bit and say, uh, do smarter goals and, uh, you know, specific, measurable, action-oriented, attainable, time-bound, you know. And then we say evaluated regularly mm-hmm. and uh, rewarded uh, positively. And so it's that, that's that extra step that a lot of people don't do. The, the big part of goal setting, though, is the emotion. I talked about digging deep and finding those layers because one of the reasons people don't achieve their goals as often is because they set goals that really aren't that important. They might say, I, I, my goal is to lose 10 pounds, but it's not emotionally resonating, resonating with them. And until we find that emotion we're not going to be able to get through the tough times. Um, People say, well, I'm just not motivated though. Have have you heard that before? Definitely. (laughs) You know, that actually while you were talking and you even just saying that, that makes me think like, do we have strategies for when we fall off track? I, you know, I, I I don't, I don't think that we do, (laughs) you know, usually, um, you know, usually we'll just go, okay, well, I'll get back on track tomorrow. But I, is, I mean, I don't know. Like the, I just thought, <laughs> is that the strategy? Just start again? Like, you, you know, do we give people strategies to be able to course correct when falls off a little bit? Yeah. And that as a, as a proper plan, that's your contingency plan. Like, Hey, you're, you're thinking of possible barriers and roadblocks and challenges that are going to come up. And you're, you, well, we can't think of everything that'll happen. We can think of the most common ones and we're going to sit down and put, put a strategy in place for each one of those. Hey, if, if I'm not feeling well, what's my strategy? If I have to go out of town, what's my strategy? If I injure myself, what's my strategy? You know, if I realize I'm not motivated by my goal, what's my strategy? It sounds really almost simple and like, well, duh, but people don't sit there and, and physically write it down. Yeah. Like, and ha- it's like you, here's your game plan. Like, uh, you go to any like football team or whatever, and they've got their playbook. Like, what's your playbook for health, fitness, and wellness? 
And as trainers and coaches, we can help our clients create that. But if you're doing it on your own as a individual, you need to have that. And if your trainer or coach doesn't have that, find another trainer or coach <laughs> that does. <laughs> oh gosh. Um, I wanted to just capture that playbook. Give me a couple ideas. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> cool. Um, is there anything else that you want to add, say, talk about? There are so many things that we could talk about. Uh, yeah, I, I'd say the, the biggest thing is think about that. The We're in the four pillars. Like Typically, when someone's struggling to reach their goals and whatever it is, whether it's fit, health and fitness or work or wherever, if you go back to it, it's one of the four pillars. And often it's not the one you think it is. People will keep trying to work harder and harder and harder in one pillar and like I'm doing this I'm doing this and if you take that step back and look and say huh but I'm not doing this and if I did that that might be the catalyst that changes everything else so what would you say to somebody who thinks that they're doing everything right like what would be a good tool for self-awareness because I feel like that's a hard thing to like well just ask yourself this question <laughs> you know what I mean like what's and you know what I'm asking I think <laughs> yeah and well if people are getting all the results they want and they're like super happy and they're like yeah I'm rocking every aspect of life keep doing what you're doing <laughs> it's uh when when the same frustrations keep coming up that's a sign that there's a, a blocker or barrier in place and if what you've been doing isn't working, take even taking the step back and say, okay, I've been doing this. It's not working. Maybe it's a different way of doing that. Or maybe it's something completely different. That's where getting help is super helpful because we all have our blind spots. We, we have our strengths and our weaknesses and there are things that we're going to notice and not. Uh, I, you know, well, I could do my own taxes. I don't enjoy it. I'm not good at it. I hire someone to do that. If I have legal work to do, I hire a lawyer. I have business coach. I have had multiple fitness and uh, co coaches in the past. When I wanted to learn play guitar, I hired a guitar teacher. <laughs> and we hire someone who has the expertise to do it. I call it buying speed. It's like you're going to get there way faster, way more effectively if you just hire someone. And maybe it's just for one or two sessions to just chat through that with them. And again, the coach versus the trainer. If you're struggling for fitness and weight loss, hiring a trainer to kick your butt in the gym for a couple sessions might help, but most likely it's just going to be a couple sessions you work hard and maybe you're sore the next day. Whereas if you hire someone to really sit down and ask you those tough questions and walk you through that, that process and the discovery process and, uh, one of the presentations I did for a mentorship program I'm involved with, it was helping people understand the difference between a, an instructor, a trainer, a coach, a counselor, and a mentor. Mm -hmm. And the same person can be all those things, but it's putting on a different hat for a different need at a different time. And you know, if someone doesn't know how to tie their shoe, for example, 
uh, it, you need to show them how to do their, it's like, do this, do this, do this. Great. When they learn how to do it and someone can tie their shoe in their sleep, we don't have to teach them anymore. But if they're struggling to tie their shoe, we want to ask them why they're struggling and, and ask some of those questions. That's where the coaching aspect comes in. And we're trying to help them get better at doing that. If we want to be able to do it with one hand or their eyes closed, it's a more advanced version. And there, there are things that we're going to do differently than we would if they were just learning it for the first time. And I tend to approach health and fitness from the standpoint that most people already know the answers and the way to get past their challenges. They just may not be seeing it because there's a certain mindset filter or blocker or blinders on. And so my role at that point is to ask the right questions and have them discover the answer that's the, the coaching aspect and sometimes it takes a lot longer like i still remember one client in particular we were having this nutrition discussion and she was like oh, i just I have so much trouble with nutrition and i could have just said to her do this this and this and i had in the past and she hadn't been doing it so i just it was like this 45 minute coaching session we were just like back and forth and I was just asking questions and she's like yeah it's I I keep going out and buying fast food meals at, when I'm at work at lunch and I said well what are some of the solutions you can think of and she like it was right there in front of I'm just like I just wanted to say pack your own lunch but if I'd said that it wouldn't have been her idea it would have been mine and so I asked a bunch of questions and finally finally she's like oh, I can make my own lunch and bring it. I'm like, yes, let's do that. And now it's her idea. And she was bought into it. She's like, I came up with this idea. And I think I failed as a coach because it took me about 400 questions to get her to that point. But, but the fact is we got her there. And that was a catalyst. She actually started doing that. So that being able to put on that hat for yourself or for your clients is, is really important. And the ability to have buy-in and connection with the outcomes that we're creating. And that's where telling someone might help, but having them discover the solution and you help facilitating that discovery is really the power that uh, will help create that behavior change. Um, it's kind of like if you're telling somebody, they think of it like my mom's telling me to do something, so I'm not going to do it. And I love what you just said about becoming the facilitator of the results, not actually like, here's your results. I got the playbook right here for you. Just follow this. That's like mom telling you what to do. Right. But it's like, Hey, well, how do you think this will feel if you do this? What happens if you do this? How will you feel if you think you change it to this so that they're getting that, like we talked about the emotional connection and coming up with the idea and the, how it'll feel on their own. Yeah, exactly. And, and sometimes I, I get into that uh, myself as I'm like, how do you think if you did this and I give them the, the solution instead of what options do you think would allow you to create this outcome? And then they come up with the solutions and we can, you can say, oh, okay, that's an interesting one. Tell me more about that one. How would you make this happen? And tell me about this one. How would you make that happen? And 
some of them we know as coaches and we're experienced and we can say that some things are going to work and some things aren't in in many instances and there are some that are more effective for a certain person but once they have come up with the solutions we can help them decide which is best and and they or they can decide which is best but we can lead them in a certain direction which we feel is going to be more conducive to their success nudge them in the right direction (laughs) (laughs) exactly (laughs) cool well i feel like we could have a whole another long conversation we absolutely could (laughs) um where would somebody go to learn more about you oh uh a bunch of different places uh uh freshgroup.ca for fresh wellness group is it's our portal site. It takes people to all the different aspects of the uh, of our company, uh, or uh, thefitnesscurveball.com to learn more about the four pillars and uh, my book, The Fitness Curveball, which walks people through each of the four pillars. Yeah. Cool. And then I'll put all those links in the show notes. <laughs> Sounds good. Cool. Well, uh, thank you for your time, Tim. It was a pleasure chatting. It was great to chat, and I hope we get to do it again soon. <laughs>